Welcome into the 209th episode of the Young Turfs podcast from the Viner Fourgate Studios. This is your host, Mason Viner, and joined as I will be all football season by Wayne Viner. The Turfs roll in Charlotte. We made the trip down, and it was an interesting place to watch a game. Small stadium, of course, very enthusiastic when the game started. A lot of student participation. Mason, they put the money into that campus. That place looks fantastic. It looks like you're going to college at a country club. And they were very welcoming. Saw a lot of Terps down there. Uh, you want to talk a little bit of tailgate? Yeah, great event put on by our guy Ben Page in the Terrapin Club. Matt Monroe gets some uh, proper ups on that one. And Maryland, from a fan perspective, gets it done. I mean, I haven't seen a game. I mean, you can go back to Maryland Temple at the link from a couple of years ago, 2019, and then before that, I guess 2012. I think we went along, yeah, 10 years ago. 10 years ago this week, we were at Temple. Diggs was hot. Um, that That was a nice experience. But, yeah, you don't see a lot of road games where Maryland has a few thousand fans packed in there, and this was one of them. You know, if the team continues to be, to win, I think you're going to see the development of a football culture where you start to believe to go on the road. I got phone calls today about people who want to go to Michigan. That's now a 12 o'clock start on the 24th. Can we get to Indiana? How do you fly to Indianapolis on a short? Now, that's expensive, but people are still going. We're talking about Wisconsin down the road, and, of course, everybody can make it's probably going to Penn State on, I think it's November 12th. Yeah, and, and those are going to be the opportunities to see things like this. You know, Maryland takes a road trip to Rutgers. That's an easy trip up 95, one that we made last year, and there were quite a few Maryland fans there. It was You know, it's always tough. That Thanksgiving weekend spot is never easy to go to any game a lot of people have family commitments around that time but you know maryland at penn state maryland at charlotte maryland at temple and then if you really get going a game like a maryland at indiana is something that people will start to consider like there are certainly places that it's that's easy to get maryland doesn't play a lot of those games like maryland at northwestern chicago's a consistent flight out of this area all day every day maryland at michigan it's easy enough to get to Detroit if you want to rent a car and drive over there. I mean, that's one that you see under $300. But past that, Iowa, some of the trips that we've made, Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois. And we're going to add UCLA and USC down the road to yeah, that. Yeah, UCLA, USC. These are some. Can you imagine the trip, if it comes to be, to Oregon for a regularly scheduled I- I've Big made Ten that trip for, um, for a vacation. vacation. Right. That's a long, that's a long, long way from here. But more in the Illinois, Nebraska, um, Iowa. Iowa's like impossible to get to. I love the Iowa trip. One of my favorite stadiums is Iowa for football. I thought that was great. But yeah, you got to fly. We flew to Chicago. You drive all the way yeah. down to there. And yeah, so that, that was a trip. Yeah, that there, there are some tough places. To but get it was to. easy. In the end, it was easy to get to Charlotte. It was BWI to Charlotte, got an Uber, end up at the game. So Well, we end up at the tailgate before the game. <laughs> okay, good tailgate. And, then we walk over to the game. Yeah, and and also shout out to the Shell and Tell guys. They'll be making it to Michigan this year. We got to see them on Saturday. They made the road trip uh, down to Charlotte, part of the Terp crew that made it 
down there. It was nice to see everybody at the tailgate. Game gets going. Maryland rolls from the beginning on offense. So on the defensive side of the ball, some some challenges. Terps get it kicked off. 39-yard ball from Talia Tungavailoa to Jacob Copeland starts the scoring for Maryland. And He was open enough that standing in the end zone, I saw him open. I moved the camera to him while the ball was in the air. I mean, he was open. Yeah, it was – Charlotte's defense was not not very good, not very dialed in on Saturday. It certainly had the talking aspect of the game going down on the field, but the performance from the 49ers' defense was just not there. So the game starts off, as you said, Maryland, four or five play drive touchdown. And then Charlotte comes back, a lot of short stuff. Maryland's sitting back in a defensive shell, and Charlotte scores, and they sort of stay in the game. And they got about two touchdowns. And then the Maryland safeties, as you texted me during the game, start hitting. Maryland brings the hits after that, and Charlotte just disintegrates. Yeah, and I put it on Twitter, and you can follow this podcast on Twitter, at YoungTurp1. Yeah, that really kicks off my key playlist of this game. Two plays that I'll focus on from that first Charlotte drive. There were two fourth and ones on it, both of which were converted by Charlotte. The first one, a pass interference that goes against Ja'Cory and Bennett, who struggled a little bit early in this game, as well as the rest of Maryland's defensive backfield. The second one, probably my least favorite play from Maryland in this game, fourth and one against Charlotte. They run the ball up the middle, they get five yards. Maryland was spread out at that point. I think by then you already had Gavin Gibson in the game. You had some injuries for Maryland defensive backfield. Uh, Till doesn't make the trip. Uh, they lose a safety to a, a concussion protocol there for a little bit. And all of a sudden, 17's in the game. 26 is in the game. Uh, things, things were a little rocky there. But as you said, uh, somewhere along that line, Maryland starts taking those shorter passes and the safeties just start drilling the receivers and it changed the game. Yeah, I think I have a new player on, favorite player on Maryland's defense, uh, Glenn Miller. Or I guess his name is actually Glendon Miller. But right. When you say Glenn Miller, I think about 40s music. I, I think that a lot of people that listen to uh, Terp Talk would, would think about 40s music when they hear um, right. that, when that. they hear the name Glenn Miller. But yeah, he just hits. And there's something that I will say about Maryland's secondary right now is while they may be giving up a little bit too many easy plays, especially across the middle, Bo Braden and Glenn Miller and Dante Trader, they drive down on the ball and they hit people backwards. And that's that's a spot where Maryland suffered in the defensive backfield with over the years. They haven't had many players that really just get downhill and level guys. And that's something that, again, when you're talking about a team that can win Big Ten football games, that's going to play Wisconsin, who's going to turn around and hand the ball off. 40 times in the game possibly or when you play in Michigan that likes to run the ball a lot you can't let guys roll over you and get an extra three yards so yeah the safeties bring the boom two plays two games Maryland gets uh, flagged for targeting and in both cases and when I'm not sure that's targeting just hit them that hard in both cases they go to the replay and the targeting's waved off uh, we have that play, actually, if you look at our post-game show on TerpTalk.com, that's one of our video replays of the game. Yeah, and, and I thought that was targeting on Caleb Wheatland. I really did. I didn't think it was when I first saw the play, but on the replays, I, I thought he was that he was done, and that would be a big hit for Maryland. Not really on Saturday. I mean, it has some effect. Young guy comes into Maryland early enrollee, been talked about highly around the program. 
they need snaps in this game. We'll get to that a little bit more later on in the show. But a guy that you really need to play in this game. And he gets, you know, possible ejection there for targeting would have hurt the team. But Terps uh, two for two so far on the on the reverse targeting calls this year. That drive with the two fourth and one conversion ends uh, with Xavier Williams, who I was impressed by the Charlotte young Charlotte quarterback uh, hitting Du Bois, who's he's going to be playing on Sunday somewhere. There was an ESPN draft scout sitting next to me at the game uh, Saturday. who was their only guy that he had highlighted on his play or on his flip card for the game was to voice the wide receiver for Charlotte. He's the only Charlotte guy they had? Yeah, only Charlotte guy. Yeah, a lot, lot, lot of turrets that we well, talked about a little bit. Yeah, you had a prime seat. One side, Emily from the post, Emily Giambalvo. The other side is the draft analyst, and there's Mason in the middle. Yeah, it was a, um an interesting press box packed back into folding chair tables. About a crew of seven Maryland reporters makes it down to Charlotte, which increased from when we said we were going. Looked like a Turp Talk gang might have been the only ones that were going out to that, but everybody finds a way to make it down there. Uh, tables in the back with NFL draft scouts from the Browns, from the Panthers, um, from the Raiders. That's two games now in a row for Maryland. There's been a Raiders scout at the game. Um, and the Terps are getting looks. I mean, it's a long list of guys right now that NFL scouts are interested in. DJ Glaze, Jalen Duncan, Spencer Anderson, obviously Leah you know the well, all the wide receiver all crew. All the wide receivers. Yeah, it, it's just Maryland right now has a ton of pros on the field. I think if you flip it over to the defensive side, I think Jacorian Bennett's getting looks. Targhee Stills, a guy that's getting scouted right now. Dante Banks is starting to enter that list uh, of guys. Just of note, if you're coming out to see the Terps play, Chime's on there. You know, there there's a handful of guys from Maryland that there are teams that are interested in. They're making. Uh, making the time to come out and see the Terps play, and, and they certainly put on a show for them. What do you think of the guys in the middle, Emmy Finau and Kite? Are, are yeah, they I mean, pro they're on the li- I mean, you're talking about two Big Ten honorable mention defensive linemen. They're, they're definitely guys. I think Finau, he's slimmed down. I, you can definitely see it this year. I don't really know if that's benefiting him at the moment. Maryland is, again, they're in a heavy rotation time period in their game schedule where they want to see a lot of guys play on purpose on purpose to keep guys fresh yeah to keep guys happy that are on the roster i also think because they want to evaluate them in a live fire situation and be able to coach them up so you're going to see guys that that probably are going to maybe that was their last game i think this smu game is going to be a little different do you think they're going to keep playing three full defensive yeah i I, maybe not three full I think that Tank Booker is still in your rotation on, on short yardage situations. I still think Isaac Bunyan there, is, in the, yeah. is in that rotation. Maybe not as much. Maybe late game, right. end of half. But if you watch, I'll, I'll draw a comparison to the NFL. If you watch NFL teams play, they usually run A, B units. On the edge, yeah, there's your third down pass rusher. There's your run stopping Well, guy. that's the difference between an NFL roster and well, 85 yeah, that, guys. Well, yeah, you see, the, the, I'm getting to that. Okay. It's a numbers difference in, in the first place. You know, one college, Maryland travels with 71 guys. They could have brought, I believe, two more that don't make the trip, probably being Tarheeb Still, freak accident in the locker room earlier in the week, and Corey Coley's just not healthy at the moment. Um and you see where Maryland kind of picks their picks their guys. They're still bringing three full defensive line rotations on these on these road trips, and I think it's because they're looking at this saying we need these guys, we need them to get snaps because 
it's inevitable that somebody's going to get hurt up front. Those guys just don't last. They get beaten down every play, every day in practice. You know, the contact is extreme at that level. Yeah. So I'll point out one other reason why I think this is probably coming to an end. They're going to need some of these guys to redshirt. You get your four games. When you play four games and your redshirt's gone. So SMU's the third well, game. Who up front that they're playing right now is a redshirt? I'm saying that it takes that, that takes that away. If you thought of sitting somebody to store them for one more year, you're going to get three games in, and then if you play the fourth game, there goes your red shirt. So they're going to have to look a little bit differently at this to say are they going to use all of those guys their eligibility. But maybe the answer is yes. Well, I think um, Knotts, the wide receiver that played, Shalik Knotts, right. four-star for Maryland, comes in. I think he's on that red shirt list, the guy they want to get a, gets a game in for – Octavian Smith's not a redshirt guy right now. No, he wears number 15. You're going to yeah. see him play. Yeah, he's going to play. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, Gavin Gibson, maybe. They might I, need him. I think they need him, and, right and I think that shows right now. Uh, Whitaker, I think yeah. he's playing for Maryland. Number 17. Caleb Wheatland and Jayshon Barham are going to play. 44 and 1. There's there's no chance that there's a redshirt when, there. When you get a, a young guy who comes in and he's rocking the one jersey on defense, you know they're serious about him, and that's – Barham is – is the best linebacker they got right now, which in some ways is concerning and in other ways is expected because he's a high four-star from St. Francis and he's ready to go day one and he's an early enrollee. But I think the fact that Gote isn't really, doesn't look like he's all the way back, he's no, not he hitting nearly as hard as he was before. No. For those who haven't watched this year, he's wearing the number nine jersey. He got in late in the game. I think it says something that we talked about the offense on the at the game, on the post-game show. But I think we both realize the place where if this is going to be a really good team, where you got to focus now is the defense. you got eight penalties. You had too many penalties, and you still have questions about the defense. The offense did everything that you'd want an offense to do. I said on the postgame show, as efficient as they were, I still don't see that as spectacular. I look for a game where you're that dominant. You actually might win the game 70-7, to not well, 56-21. Yeah, and, you know, we've gone 15 minutes and the score on my note that notes that we've reached is 7-7, and there's a lot more to get to with the actual game. Well, well I'll let you take this. But I, I do think that that contributes to it, and one of the things that I, I can't wrap my head around is they're scoring all these points, and going down to the next drive, Charlotte decides to try and kick an onside kick, which I thought was a – that's a losing move. Remember one of our good friends, AC Payday on Twitter, Maryland tries a fake punt against Penn State, I don't remember what year. It was when they lost 63 to nothing, 63 to 6, something like that. And they try a fake punt. Maybe it was the second time they had the ball. He goes, that is a move that you only pull out when you're going to lose. That's Charlotte onside kicks a move that you pull out when you know you're probably going to lose the game. Uh, Terps fire back. Sean Jones gets his first touchdown of the game. Maryland then turns it around. Antoine Littleton gets a 59-yard run. His only carry of the game. Antoine Littleton's starting to go the way, in my mind, of D.J. Adams. Like, why can that guy not get the ball on this team? It is starting to not make any sense to me. I said I'd let you go, but I got a question. Who else doesn't get the ball? We, we talked about how many targets do you give to Demas, how many times you throw it to Jarrett, how many times you get your tight end involved, and then if you're going to have four running backs with carries, which I also think will go away because of the redshirt thing. They, they're going to have to figure out – does Ramon Brown actually play this year and contribute, or do you try and use a redshirt on him? Yeah, I like the redshirt idea there, because if you look at the rushing stats in this game, 
Colby McDonald's the leading Maryland rusher. Four carries, 61 yards, touchdown. Antoine Littleton's the second leading carrier for Maryland in terms of yards. He gets one touch for 59 yards. Hemby does get nine carries, only gets 29 yards. Brown gets eight touches, 27 yards. And Jarrett gets a run. He picks up 10 yards on, on his only carry, which was an interesting play. Jarrett lines up as a running back, gets a touch. In, was Maryland running the wishbone then? Yeah, there was a time they had three running backs in there. But I think which I that, like that look. I think that was a two. He, he got the ball carried to his left and tried to get up the alley and, and gained a few yards. Yeah, picking the game back up. Charlotte fires back, quick drive from them. Maryland, poor defensive drive. C-team defensive lines out there for the Terps. They just get shredded, give up a long pass, couple combo plays, ends up with a long run. Williams scores his second touchdown in the game. At that point, Maryland, though, they fire right back. Jacob Copeland gets his second score of the game. Terps leading 28-14. to 14. Leah, three touchdown passes that at that point. I believe he was something like 16 for 17 at that moment for 245 yards and three touchdowns. Something like that. About as near perfection as you could get at some point in your notes, he ends up 20 for 21 with four touchdowns. Yeah, that comes up after he hits Jayshon Jones for Jones' second touchdown in the game on a play where Leah scrambles. Maryland goes into the halftime break, 35-14, Terps lead after an interception in the end zone by Charlotte. Leah maybe a little bit greedy on that play. That's what you said. A little bit underthrown. He just underthrew it. To Demas. I, I mean, you got a guy who's that big against a normal-sized corner. You figure you can throw it up in the air. It came down a little short. And had he hit that pass, I, I think we were going to end up in, in some epic wonderland. of. It still was the best percentage, passing percentage, Danny Maryland quarterbacks ever had. But he, he was flirting with perfection. It was almost, he almost threw a perfect game, and he throws a pick. Yeah, and, and if we'll throw at the final stat line now. 27 for 31, 391, four touchdowns, one interception. He runs the ball for another touchdown in the game, which he ends up slipping down uh, with a cramp in the calf on that, which I think had every Maryland fan in the world ready to. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, wondering why is he still in the game? Oh, my God, there goes the season. I thought he slipped on the flags real time. Now, I saw the replay. He didn't. Yeah, and everybody thought that. I was sitting up in the press box, and everyone's going, why are those flags there? Yeah. Like, who who put, who put left those there kind of things? Did he just fall over? Did a guy who's got, you know, three, four NFL scouts watching him play today. Just lose a career tripping yeah, over some flags. Career. Why are we even playing in Charlotte? It brings up a whole list of yeah, questions. It, and then that pops out, and. He's okay though. He comes out of goes comes flying out of the training tent, running around the field. I think that that was partially a show from him, the knowing the history of Maryland. Which but I'm, hey, Billy Edwards comes in. They run him a lot. Apparently, he got cut, and then Leah comes in for the the coup de gras play. He throws a long pass down the left sideline on fourth down. Maryland goes for it, and he sticks that one too. Uh, yeah, Leon Houghton Jr. gets the catch. A guy that I think Maryland fans are going to love watching play in the coming years. Big-time wide receiver for the Terps. Big get for them. Uh, tight end wide receiver combo. Saw some comments online. A lot of people saying that he reminds uh, them of an early Dante Demas, which which I can see that comparison. He's going to be a good player for Maryland. Another one of those guys who's played now in the first two games. We'll see if they need him down the line. He's probably your next man up if there's an injury in the wide receiver room. Um but Maryland's going to, you know, they'll make those decisions, as you said, this week. 
you know, you got guys, okay, they play two games. Do you use the third game here? Do you think that down the road you might need them, but you don't want to burn the year for them if they need to play again? So those decisions start to come in. That's why you have all those player personnel guys. If you're wondering what they do when they're not recruiting, a lot of them are sitting in the room with a chart out saying, how many games do we have left from this guy? Where can he play? Is he on the travel team? Is he not? Is that a game for some of these guys that was closer to where they went, you know, closer to their home? ton of parents out there from Maryland do want to get them in for that. So those decisions are all factored in on a week-to-week basis, especially with the freshmen that are playing. And that, that pretty much wraps up, you know, key plays in this game for me. A lot of scoring plays for Maryland, not a lot of sustained drives. I thought Billy Edwards looked good. I think that's a big positive for Maryland. And something that Mike Loxley definitely acknowledged after the game was, we got to get him snaps. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's a redshirt freshman. He needs to play in case they need him. Absolutely, he does. And my comment last week that isn't it ironic that Wake Forest lost their quarterback and that he stayed there. Well, Wake Forest quarterback comes back off the injured list, and so that probably was a non-topic. But Billy does get to play. Looks good enough. I was hoping they would put him out for the media. Yeah, that would have been interesting. And then uh, Nigerian comes in at the end, takes the last snap, gets a knee out of it. So that that was cool. Uh, there were a couple plays in there, a couple things that, that stood out for me. I'll just go over two quick offensive ones. Leah had forever back there. Charlotte could not get close to him for most of the game. It certainly helped uh, keep that percentage high on the completions. Copeland, and I asked him after the game, it ran a route when he came from the right side of the field. At first, I wasn't sure he was supposed to be in the game, and he wasn't either. He stays on the field, and then he runs 40 yards right to left, gets in Leah's field of vision, makes a 10-yard completion. That single play, to me, said, hey, there's a good connection between Leah and Copeland, and that Copeland actually understands the offense and figured out, even though he thought he might have been coming out of the game, he, he got exactly right back where he needed to be mentally, and he makes a catch that keeps a drive alive. And I, I think that's pretty cool. I think when you look at Copeland, Jarrett, Demas, Ty Felton, and whoever else is getting out there, that is a talent level. You know, there have been times when people said Maryland has great talent in a particular area. You know, go play the games, and it's not there. This is a case where it might even be underrated. Yeah, I think so. It could be one of the best crews uh, in the country. Could be. So do you know anything? Do you feel that you actually know anything about Maryland football after being on the field off and on for two games, watching these guys up close? Uh, absolutely not actually. I think that we haven't really seen what this team's about yet. And I think Saturday might be a preview. I have lofty expectations for Saturday and what this team can do. I don't think you see the real Maryland until big noon kickoff against Michigan. Then you're going to see every trick that Maryland's got in the book. Everything they have up their sleeve will come out in two weeks. This team is, when you watch them on offense, they haven't even nailed the timing down yet. Maryland's running near perfect completion percentage offense. You go back and you watch the film of this game. I've watched a little bit of it, and the ball's a little bit behind. They're just that one tick off. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I hope come Saturday night when they need things to be on time, they're going to need to score some points this weekend, that they're there and they come ready to play. I, I, I feel a sense with Maryland that, one, they're playing a ton of guys right now. Two, they're not really – they haven't faced a team that's a challenge to them. There's a three to that that floats right in there. They score so quickly that their number of plays run is under where they want to be. 
Yeah. They're scoring a bunch of points, but they want to get more snaps. Uh, it just hasn't worked out yet. Well, that was my third thing is how do you ever get going when you score in five plays? You know, it's almost like the 3 nothing lead in hockey is where I feel like Maryland can put themselves. Maryland can come out, and they did against Rutgers last year, actually, and they go boom, 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 and they score. And then they do it again, and then they do it again. And suddenly the score is like 21-10. to 10. And you're in a spot where this other team's, you know, churned. They get a first down. They run eight plays on offense. They don't score, but they get they move the ball. You know, they get two first downs, whatever. They get a scoring drive that comes after that. They get a long scoring drive, but it's a field goal. And suddenly you find yourself in this spot where you've run 20 plays or less. They've run like 35, and they've had the ball a bunch. And, and your defense have, yeah. is tired. And they have rhythm. And they have this feeling about the game, and especially when you're on the road and this happens. You end up in that tough spot. Like, you make a mistake, you fumble, you throw an interception, you have a three and out where Maryland's timing's off. They throw a screen pass over some guy's head. They run the ball for two yards, and they get sacked on third down. And then you're in the spot where you're like, oh, my God, we've scored, but we have no – there's no rhythm here. Right. The fact that we didn't score again, now we're, like, starting the game. Yep. Now we've really got to play. And that happened a little bit on Saturday where Maryland had scored four touchdowns and had the ball for four minutes and 27 seconds. And it was Charlotte who actually had, the, in a strange way, some momentum there. But like I said, the defense hit their way out of that. Penalties are not. So you get SMU that comes in. They're 2-0. and uh, Is it Rhett Lashley is their coach? He had some national notoriety. He was the OC at Miami last year. They run the air raid. Is rate. he their offensive coordinator or is he their head coach? He's the head coach at SMU. The guy yeah, who yes, was he, the head yep. coach went to TCU. So they bring yeah. Rhett Lashley yeah. in. Sony Dykes goes to TCU. There you go. Yeah. The SMU is a quarterback by, of all names, his last name is Mordechai. I mean, who could have made this up? Um, but they come and they run the air raid offense. When you look at their list of, of good players, it, it very much mirrors like a Maryland where it's the receivers, it's it's the Yeah, it's skill the transfer players. from Alabama, the quarterbacks, a transfer yeah. from Oklahoma. Yeah. And they're here to put up a bunch of uh, a bunch of offense and hope their defense does enough to win the game. Well, right now, to me that's sort of that's the Maryland story. So if Maryland wins this game by a lot, they'll say SMU wasn't any good. And I actually fear on the Maryland side, if Maryland doesn't win the game by a lot, they still might say SMU's not any good. Somewhere down the line, this game, win or lose, Maryland's going to have to beat some of these big boys. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. You think that Maryland's a good matchup over SMU at the moment? Well, I'll, I'll come straight out with it. I think Maryland's going to dominate this game. I may be very, very wrong in saying that. But I don't think an AAC team that comes in here, say what you will, the Sun Belt's a different league. The Sun Belt is southern teams that play a style of football that can punch up, can punch above the weight. I look at SMU year over year. You know, Shane Bouchelle, the quarterback from Texas, had a great career at SMU. I think Tanner Mordecai is having a fantastic year for them so far. He's thrown seven touchdowns, one interception. But I just don't think SMU is at that level. When I look at Maryland right now, even on the defensive side of the ball, this is a real Big Ten football team that comes ready to play. But it's not not Iowa. Maryland's not beating you with three safeties and a field goal at the last second. Maryland's got the offense that fits that, like, ACC, Oklahoma, 
spread the ball around, got legitimate NFL wide receivers on the outside. I think on Saturday this game starts off close, and suddenly Maryland finds that next gear, and the defense kind of wakes up a little bit, gets that stop that I'm talking about when I you know talk about the pace of a game. And the Terps are just off and they're running. And I don't think SMU, they have some gas. They'll put up some big numbers against, you know, your Navy's, Tulane's, Houston. Um, but I think Maryland's going to start to showcase that they're on another level on the offensive side of the football. And this is a game where Maryland's going to have the size on the edge, the speed on the edge to play with these guys. And SMU may not see another team like Maryland this year. Well, I hope beyond hope that you you are correct and i'm waiting for a couple of these sacks some of those defensive pressures to come one smu strength is that they're sort of listed as, as big and burly up front for the offensive line in their conference and you bring in a vandarius cowan you look at the speed blitzes that maryland really didn't run on saturday but did use a little bit against buffalo and say that the, you can bring pressure you might have to bring a fifth guy Against the air raid, that's going to put some of these defensive backs out on an island. If you can get pressure in the quarterback's face, you can really yeah. survive the and, day. If, if he gets to stand back there against an, uh, run an air raid and you can't pressure him, you might have a problem. Well, I think that's why we're going to see a lot of um, Mokite and a lot of Amifi now in this game. Because when you look at the guys that have gotten pushed from Maryland up the middle, Against the pass, it's mostly been them. SMU's a team, they don't really like to run the ball very much. They like to, you know, right-to-left passes, a lot of swing passes. They'll get vertical on you. Those run-stuffing guys that you're going to need next week, Michigan next week, uh, I don't think they see much time. I don't think this is a game for Tank Booker. I think this is a game for Kite, Finau, Isaac Bunyan, some of the Maryland's leaner guys that can play in the middle of the field. And then this is a game where you need Chime, Vandarius Cowan, Tyler Baylor, Ahmed McCullough coming off the edge. You need to find some guys that are like that one step too slow to play on the inside linebacker spot, but can succeed a lot when a team's a little bit smaller and they want to move right to left. And and I'm thinking, in, in just talking about this in the moment, that that three safety look, when you put Miller, Trader, Braid, that maybe you can spring a couple safeties off the edge and, and be disruptive. You're going to need to disrupt the air raid. Why is it you've talked more about lately uh, off the air, like the Arizona Cardinals and the air raid, and people have a book on that. In your mind, what's the air raid do that other offenses don't do? Well, it spreads you out. I mean, that that's first and foremost. Like, you're talking about putting four guys on the edge, one on the other side, playing the long side of the field against the short side of the field. You start to compare all those things when you talk air raid offense. In the NFL, and in some ways, not really as of late, but in the old days of college football where teams used to just be able to outclass the air raid, it was my guys faster than yours. And all this pick play stuff and all that stuff really wasn't fully developed yet. I mean, it started with Mike Leach at Texas Tech. It's kind of spread out from there. I guess it started before that. We have a book in our house about the air raid. I forget what the coach's name that actually originally came up with it was. But Mike Leach worked there, so, yeah. and I can't remember his name either. And Hal Mummy. Is that really? Ran air raid in Kentucky, yeah. yeah. And it's been refined over time, and in college, no team's really been able to stop it quite yet. Like, 
You know, every once in a while, Alabama will play South Carolina, and South Carolina is trying to run the air right now. Alabama is just at that next level. But in a game like this, Maryland has got to play that. Glenn Miller has got to play linebacker. I think Barham can kick down to the, like, the Jack linebacker or the Will linebacker spot for Maryland in this. And I think Gote is going to have to play a lot because he's fast. That's what I was right thinking. Right to left. There, there's your guy, your X factor, is getting Gote back at full speed. And, and he he hits like a ton of bricks when he gets you. Yeah, and that's that's Maryland's thing. they got to hit guys backwards. You can't let guys slip tackles. Your defensive backs, when you look at what Maryland's been able to do this year so far, they've tackled better than they have in the past. They haven't gotten their heads around against the deep ball, which I, I can't understand why they can't seem to get that going, right? You would think going up against these wide receivers, they would see a lot of vertical yeah. passes going down the sideline, a lot of a lot of things they don't necessarily do right yet. But the key for Maryland is the linebackers. The key against the air raid, and I think it's really the key when you're playing defense in football, is can my inside linebackers and outside linebackers ID the play before it happens, right when that ball snaps, see the tips, see guys – you know, leaning back if you're a guard, who's going to pull, where's the ball going to go, and then getting downhill there. When you see teams that fail when the play's coming at them, a lot of times their linebackers, they'll move their right or left foot back. They'll start tipping back. They're not going towards the play. They're starting to look for where it's coming from. Right. And that's when you get football term caught in the wash. You can't get free, and then you can't get the guard off of you that, that releases into the, into the second level, and you get pinned and the, and the play goes by you. And that used to happen a lot at Maryland. And you see the guy tackling the back of the ball carrier, and the whole play goes for four more yards. Yeah, and, and that's what we've seen do this. But I'm looking a lot to see, can Maryland spend a week of game prep, and can they get their eyes in the right spot, and then can they get downhill and hit the play? Well, here's one advantage that Maryland's defense has in looking at a system like that is they've spent, what, six weeks trying to cover Kim Jarrett Demas, Felton, Copeland, Jay Sean Jones. And I you've got to if you're playing that every day in practice, I think it's going to make your defense better. I think especially your Jacorian Bennett's and those guys, they're playing against absolutely top level competition every day in practice. So my my special of the week is Jacorian Bennett actually intercepts a pass this week. Oh man. Well that that that's right up there with me thinking that Maryland's going to win this game a lot. Is can Jacorian Bennett actually intercept the pass? We'll, we'll see. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to do that in this game. I mean, you look at where teams get their interceptions. Guys running an eight-yard hook route. You read the play before you're five yards off the play. You drive on the ball really hard. You take the ball. You go the other way and you score. A lot of screen passes. Guy gets caught up in the wash, blocks the guy into a ball, gets knocked up in the air, he picks it off. Those opportunities are going to be on the field on Saturday. Because they run it's those just kind of plays. How prepared can we be going into this game? How ready will Maryland be on Saturday night to go out there and win, to take that next step, to show that they can do this against an offense that puts up a lot of points that, look, there's a lot of doubt here. Can this defense do anything? I think it's up to Maryland to challenge their guys to change that narrative and start changing it because, yeah, they can beat SMU, and we'll all probably say, well, well, damn, we beat SMU, you know. Great. What's going to happen next week? At least we've finally gotten to the point as a fan base where, yeah, there's a little bit of question about this game. Yeah, some people are going to pick SMU. Yeah, the line on the game's three and a half, three, four, wherever it is, depending on where you look. We should win this game. And we should go into next week and think, 
now we really got an opportunity, and hopefully we'll have that opportunity to be there again. Man, Maryland's got a hell of an opportunity. Game four, three and zero, big time opponent. But you got to win this week. You got to get amped up Saturday night on your home field. You got to come out there with energy, and you got to win. Yeah, I, I'd be okay with a thirty-five, thirty-one win. Uh, it might not do well to win this game 56-21 because then your first real test is on the road at Michigan. It wouldn't be bad to to get a well, little bit of test in this yeah, game. Yeah, Michigan's not Michigan ain't playing anybody else either. They've beat but I'm, but I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about us. I, I want my guys to be ready. And I, I'm not sure that cakewalking and playing a third of a game when you're up by 25, 30 points is going to have you ready to go to the big house and win that game. This season's all about opportunity. Loxley's talked about he's got older guys, your Demas, your Jay Sean Jones, and he's got really young guys, and there isn't a whole lot in between. I, I hope, and I think what we've seen so far is maybe those older guys are ready to play this game. Can he have his Caleb Wheatlands? Can he have Jay Sean Barnum? Are, are those guys ready to play on this national stage? Uh, 7.30, it's a big game. As you said, there aren't that many other big games. Yeah, th- there's not. There's not a lot for America to watch come Saturday night in college football. This is going to be a game where people want to see it. High scoring, a lot of points, interesting players, at least on the Maryland side. I think a lot of people are going to be watching what Maryland can do, and then can this team really take that next step? I feel like we've spent weeks, months, year talking about Really, since Maryland lost to Iowa last year, can they win that game? Can they ever get another opportunity to have that kind of hype and play this game? Because right now we're running out of time. The ticket sales are atrocious for Saturday. Oh sure, we've got we're trying to put a group together to go watch some of the game with us. And I must ask you, sure that you're going to be in this one? You know, it's a night game. Ha ha ha. Yeah, and people have just had it with this. Maryland's Maryland's got to win something. And they have to win on Saturday. And that's this game on Saturday isn't that something. Can they go out the next week and can they compete? I, I feel like that's the whole story at this point, even though this game's important and should be a great game. SMU's an exciting team. There's a time where this game would draw, I think, 42,000, 43,000 people. I think Maryland struggles to get to 35 on Saturday. That's what I was thinking, 35. All right, so that that's a lot about Maryland. And I, I'm surprised how much time we spent on the defense. But I have to ask you, it's almost a bait question for you like baiting you in like baiting the bear all this nil talk and you alluded to it on the post game show and your big nil team texas a&m loses to app state what's your story behind the story there i don't really think there is one it's if jimbo's not the coach that jimbo once was and i think when you really evaluate this nil thing it's going to come. I think there's going to be coaches that, that run NIL well. And then I think there's going to be guys like Jimbo Fisher that, let's be honest, paid players before, will pay players now somewhat legally, that just don't do as well in this, in this new landscape. And Jimbo's been going downhill for a while. And, and I think Texas A&M's got some major issues with how much they're paying some of these guys. But then there's the good side of it. I mean, USC looks fantastic right now. We'll see how long it lasts. I just don't think these NIL-run organizations, these NIL-run teams, will last very long because they lost to App State. All that money, and you're losing 17-14 to 14 on your home field in front of 100,000 people to Appalachian State. 
how long can you possibly pay players on the chance of winning? I'm all for paying guys. Guy can be in an ad. We could have an ad for Viner Four Gates and, and put a player in it. We're a local business, likes Maryland, thinks it might help our brand with all the stuff we do with Terp Talk on this podcast. You know, that would be really cool, and that's something that we want to do as just people in this community that support the University of Maryland. I just cannot get my head around basically paying players to do community service like Texas Tech does or paying players just to show up to one event and the guy's getting a check for $150,000. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't think it's right, and I I think you're going to see the results. Is There's going to be guys like Miles Brennan, the quarterback from LSU, that, hey, he got his money, and he's not starting, and you know what? Doesn't need to get hit in the head another hundred times in, in practice. Doesn't even want to take the chance. He retires from football. How long is this sustainable? I, I just think business owners, people that actually have this kind of money, unless it's some absurd amount, and they really want to see like Texas A&M football win a championship. I think it lasts five years at the most. I mean, really? $2 million a year for a roster, and that's on the low end, according to what Ryan Day said. Over 10 years, that's $20 million, and there's no return on investment on that, other than a couple events and... Maybe you get something out of it. Maybe you get an ad for your business, but that's a lot of money to throw at that. That's right. top tier pro level money. You can get an endorsement from a. Well, I was joking like that. when this started that the Texas Longhorns are have a higher payroll than the Houston Texans. And it might actually happen one of these days. A- any particular thoughts about Marshall and Notre Dame, or is that j- just an odd game there? No, I think that's gonna just going to happen. I mean, Notre Dame's been turning this way for a while. They've played a lot of close games against some bad teams. I'm not saying that Marshall's bad, but they're not Notre Dame football. And guys are just – Marshall's really amped up to play the game, and I think Notre Dame's really struggling on offense yet again. And I saw it a couple of places on, on Notre Dame's side of things. Brian Kelly's not losing that game. Brian Kelly always found a way to win that game, in fact. Yep. But then and, he goes down to LSU, and they found a way to lose. But they lost to Florida State. Yeah. I mean, they didn't lose to Marshall. No. No, they did not. But other Big Ten notables here as we're one in the clock down. Uh, Washington State. Yeah. Beats Wisconsin. I, I told you. You did tell me. I told you. Maryland goes in there in Madison in November, and they score 28 points. The chance that Wisconsin's going to beat them is not very high. But Graham Mertz, the quarterback for Wisconsin, he doesn't have a bad game. Usually when Wisconsin's lost games like that, the quarterback's like four for 15 yeah. for like 39 yards and two interceptions or something like that. Guy throws the ball for 222 yards and two touchdowns. It's like 15 for 17. But they don't run the ball as well this time. No, they don't. They get 96 yards on the ground and 23 carries from yeah. Allen, who's a great running back. Right. That guy's a NFL-level running back. He's going to be playing yep. for a long time. When Nebraska hired Scott Frost, I thought it was the greatest hire in history, and that's why I'm not making those hires because it was not. Well, you and Tim Brando, I would say. His interview from, like, whatever it was, day in 2018 they hired Scott Frost. He said Scott Frost is going to be the next Nick Saban. There's no yeah. way that Nebraska is not winning a national championship with Scott Frost coaching yeah. them. It's He won 16 I, I games. I That's don't it. like – I didn't like Scott Frost as a Nebraska coach. I do. There is some part of me that sees the guy that played there that was for Nebraska – going there and the thing's an absolute failure and it's just kind of sad yeah it is they really thought they were going to win with a guy from there and that place i mean if you ever get a chance to go there for a game i would highly encourage it 
The one that we went to was kind of dead. Nebraska wasn't too good. Late November game. Um, but, man, that place cares about football. And the nicest people, I would say overall, probably the nicest fan base we've run into is the Nebraska fan base at Nebraska. At Nebraska. Yeah. Not when they came to Maryland, but, yeah. but but at Nebraska. I would agree with that. I think that game with at Maryland, they were kind of as bad as Maryland was, and they were happy to finally see their team roll Maryland. But winding it down here, I guess we'll do some predictions of the game. I, I got Maryland winning this game 49-28. to 28. I think Maryland rolls big, scores a lot of points in the first half, and just kind of outlasts SMU. Um, I'll echo an AC payday thing. There's a reason there's a line. 35-31 Maryland, it's a push. Is it covers. Five? That covers now. It's it's down to three and a half. All right. So money coming in. But th- I'll one. go 35. Maryland gets to so, 35, and then you, SMU gets back th- in the you game. throw out our guy AC payday there. Over-unders at 70 and a half to 70. Think it hits? If it's a great game, I mean, I remember some Mark Duffner. Well, they didn't call it the air raid back then, but Mark Duffner doing a lot of those things at Maryland playing NC State and lose a game 50-49. to 49. So maybe one more game like that. But, no, I think it's in the 60s, overall in the 60s, but probably not in the 70s. Yeah, I think I think you could definitely get there. I mean, you take my score, throw an SMU touchdown on there, and you hit it, definitely. But, yeah, Terps put up a lot of points. I think they win. Game Saturday, 7.30, FS1. Get there if you can. Should be a great tailgate, old line tailgate before the game. Looks like over 100 people will be attending. We'll be out there in front of Taws and then over at the old line tailgate across the parking lot. So if you see us, say hi. We enjoyed seeing you guys at Charlotte. And as always, thanks for listening.